Welcome to today's broadcast of Sun, Salt, and Light. Sun, Salt, and Light, S-O-N, knowing and growing in your daily relationship with Jesus Christ, but also being the salt and the light in your marriage, in your family, at your place of work, at your church, and even in the community you're in. I'm Pastor Michael Petit. This is a radio ministry of our church, Calvary Chapel Divine, here in Divine, Texas. We are so glad that you joined us for today's broadcast. We are a Calvary Chapel, so we simply teach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We believe that God uses His Word to transform, restore, and to change lives one verse at a time. If you're visiting our area, you'd like to get information about our church or church service times, maybe even track down some of the other teachings that we have available through podcasts, whether it's through Audible or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you can do all of that at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. If you have your Bibles ready, today we'll be closing out the book of Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 18, and Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I simply entitled this, Return to Me. Return to Me. This is the first half of this two-part study all right so we are in uh, in Malachi chapter 3 verse 6 and so last week we learned uh, about the wickedness of people and and God was telling him because he had the Levitical priest and he also had the um, the the people being rebuked and he's just like hey I'm just gonna go ahead and prepare the way the messengers coming right the messengers coming and and so I'm sending the Lamb of God and, and he is going to come to be the Savior of the world. I'm also sending John the Baptist to prepare the way. And the people of Malachi, what they did is they, there was a problem that happened that, that the foreigners were even not following God because the people of Israel were hypocrites. And the people of Israel were struggling to follow God because the Levitical priests were hypocrites. They didn't take the word of God seriously. And so what we see is as we get into this, we learned about the, the preparation for John the Baptist coming. We also learned about the Son of God, the new covenant of Jesus who's going to be coming as well. Uh, and what we learn is that we have God pointing towards the future, the new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. And he spoke about worship being pure again. And he also talked about the great day of the Lord. In Luke chapter 4, verses 17 uh, through 21, it says, And he has handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. So Jesus is reading this. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind to set a liberty of those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, and he gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It's a beautiful thing because we know that Jesus did all those things. But there was something that Jesus didn't read out of Isaiah chapter 61. Because it hadn't happened yet. In Isaiah 61 verse 2, the next sentence is this. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance. The day of vengeance of our God. 
to comfort all who mourn. The day of vengeance has not happened yet. When we read about the judgment that's coming, Jesus will return. We learned about that. We learned that, that God is going to have swift judgment, judgment and, and that He is a witness that He is going to come against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against the perjurers, against those who exploit workers, those who take advantage of widows and orphans, and those that have turned the foreigners away from Him. For us, that would be an unbeliever because they were hypocrites. And yet he says, because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts, these things will happen. And people will say, well, well, don't we need to add something else to the Bible? There's nothing else that needs to be added. The next thing that's going to happen is the rapture, and after that, the tribulation, and then the great day of the Lord will happen. And judgment is coming. That's why Jesus didn't read it, because it wasn't time yet. It wasn't time yet. And the only one who knows when that time is up is God, God the Father. And so as we look at this, the thing that we need to take from this is the beauty of these verses is you'll find out that there's a remnant of followers who believe in God. And can I tell you, there's a remnant here in the United States that love God. And it's a lot bigger than what you think it is. It's a lot bigger than what you think it is. This election is going to be against Christian nationalists. You wait. That's what's coming. And they've already said, that I think James Carville said yesterday, that, that, that they are, the Christian nationalists are the Al-Qaeda of America. I fought against, so for me, I take that personal. It's insulting. But that's what they want to do. They want to make it about religion. They want to make it about abortion. They want to make it about LGBTQ because then they can fire their base up. But you know what's the saddest thing about all of that? is even with this remnant that we have, a lot of people don't even vote. A lot of Christians are like, well, it's all going to be burned up anyway. Doesn't matter who we vote for, God's going to put whoever he wants in there. Do you think that's what God's given you to do? No. As a follower of Christ, it took men like Abraham Lincoln, who was a Christian, to say slavery was wrong because the pastors weren't saying anything in America. They were just like, oh, well, so we see that there is a remnant. And so no matter what you see going on in this world today, remember there is a remnant of people who love God and who follow God. And you need to stand up for the word of God. Don't be like Malachi, the people of Israel during this time. They didn't know the word of God. Even little Levitical priests didn't know the word of God. And so that's what this whole thing is about today is return to me. Like wherever you're at, whatever you got going on, it's like, I need to be your number one focus is God. Return to me. The other disclaimer, I need to do this. We have to talk about tithing today. Now, I am letting you know this. I did not pick this so I could go, oh, I can't wait to talk about tithing. I Look, what you do with that box and what you do online to give, that's between you and God. Okay? And we'll get into all that. But I will not teach, ever teach, a teaching on tithing, not unless we're going verse by verse through it, and it's in the Scripture. You will never have a Calvary Chapel. I've never been in one that is taught on tithing as a topical teaching. We just don't do that. Okay? So when we get to that, please understand, I'm not, I'm not and, and this is another thing. I don't want you feeling guilty and feel like i got to go put something in the box. No. 
No, you let God speak to your heart. You let that, that's a part of your worship. And you let, that's between you and God. That's why we don't do the, the pole. Remember the old pole? They used to, man, that guy could work that thing. And we'd be like, hey, hey, bro, you didn't. And as kids, we would all get coins, right? That's all we, you know, mama had. You get coins, and we'd be seeing people put dollar bills. You always felt bad because you, all you had was coins. But he'd work that pole and get that thing around you. And, uh, but we don't do that here at Calvary Chapel. So when we get to that, please, it's not to make you feel guilty, okay? That's not the intention of it. And, and I will say this. The church has been, um, we have, we've had, you know, people that have, it's been on their heart and they do it. And that's, we don't, it's the beauty of it. And we leave it like that. So let's look at our first point, return. In verse 6 it says, for I am the Lord and I do not change. So what we see here is the immobility of God. That he doesn't change, that his, his character is the same, that his will is the same, his purpose is the same. That he, do he doesn't change. He doesn't change because of time or circumstance. And that's the same thing with the Word of God. The Word of God doesn't need to change. It's inerrant. It's without error. Nothing needs to be added to it or taken from it. But sadly, there are people that actually believe that the Word of God does need to change. There are theologians that actually push a process theologian style where they, they talk about, well, God's nature is evolving. I don't know about you, but I do not want a God whose nature is evolving. Just think about your last year. How many times have you changed your mind on something? Just on the living room, how you're going to set the living room up. You move it around, no, I think we need to move it again. We change our minds all the time. I want a God who I know is a God who's righteous, who's a God who's holy, right? Who's a God who's just. See, we, we all want the grace God and the loving God and the mercy God. But you've got to accept all those other character attributes of God too. That he's just, that he's righteous, that he's holy. I want that. I don't want, I don't want a God that, that can change his mind and go, you know what, I think we're going to change it up. I don't think the prayer thing is what you should do. I don't, that's not what we're doing. And we're going to look at that because we're going to, when we get into our, our, our teaching, Advent teaching, we're actually going to be in Genesis chapter 3 because the seed is coming. It's the promise of the seed of Jesus. It's important for us to understand that he is the same today, yesterday, and forever. Isaiah 44, verses 6 through 8 says, Thus says the Lord, I love this verse, The King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God who is like me. Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what it is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. I have told you from uh, from uh, of old and declared it and you are my witnesses my witnesses and and there is a, a God besides me there is no rock I know not any and he's like I am the Lord your God I am the first I am the last there is no other and so he gives the the uh, I do not change and he says therefore you are not consumed O sons of Jacob the reason why he's telling them I do not change is because if not, God's just. And I heard Bodie Bachman say it this way. The fact that all of you are here, including myself, is the mercy of God. Because if God was just, 
we would all be judged. Now we all in here, I know pretty much everybody here belongs to Jesus Christ. But imagine those that do not know Jesus. If, if God returned and he is a just God, then judgment comes. See, he's letting them know, hey, look, it's because of my mercy that you're even talking to me. Do you get that? Because that, when I read that, I kind of get like, oh, wait a minute now. Because they're talking back throughout this whole book. There's eight points where they just are spewing stuff. Like spoiled children. And he's letting them know like, hey, you could have been consumed. But because of my mercy, because I do not change, you're my chosen nation. I'm showing mercy. And you're not getting it. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 45 through 51, it says, Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is the servant whom his master, when he comes, will find, uh, find so doing. And surely I say to you that he will come, uh, what, that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if the evil servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming. And began to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of, the, of that servant will come on, on a day when he is not looking for him. And that hour and that he is not aware of. And I will cut him in two. And this is what people don't get. And I will cut him in two and appoint him with his portion with the hypocrites. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's the contrast of the faithful and the unfaithful. And, and when we read this, what we see is that there is a judgment that is coming where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that's found some seven times in the New Testament. Hell is not a place that people want to go to, even though they think it's going to be like ACDC and Van Halen running with the devil. You, not me. I don't want none of that. When I read the Bible, hell scares me. Weeping and gnashing of teeth, there is no help for you for eternity. But people think, well, you know, I'm, God will just forgive me. All roads lead to God. No, they don't. That new covenant that we spoke about last week, that's Jesus. He's the bridge to get to God because your sin separates. You can't be with the holy God without Christ. The Lord doesn't change. And he says, yet in verse 7, yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. What a beautiful piece of scripture. He's like, look, you're going the wrong direction. Return to me. And, and what does he say back to them? And I will return to you. And this is no different than what was given in the last, the previous prophets in Zechariah verses one, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers to whom former prophets preached, uh, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Turn now from your evil ways and your evil deeds. But they did not hear nor heed them says the Lord. Unfortunately, there are people that won't, that won't listen. And, and that word, when we talk about the word return, it's repentance. In the Old Testament, it's, it's that, that turning away. It's that 180 degree direction. It's like I'm going towards this sin, and I'm going to turn, 
to the cross. I'm turning to God. I'm walking away from this lifestyle, and I'm turning to God. And if you're drifting or you're struggling, he's like, hey, return to me. Just return to me. It just simply means in the Hebrew to, uh, to withdraw, to, to uh, bring back, to reestablish, to restore. And we get that from uh, the prodigal story in Luke chapter 15. In verse 16 it says, And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, that no one had gave him anything. The prodigal son is like, hey, give me my inheritance now. The father's not even dead. So the moment that he asked for that inheritance, the father is dead to him at that moment. That's how much he cared about his dad. Just give me my stuff. And off he goes into the foreign land, which is into this world, to sin, which would have meant to Babylon. Chasing prostitutes, wine, women, the whole nine yards, everything, being with uh, people of influence. And he was broke. He lost it all. And when it says that, that, and he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything, a Jew would not have anything to do with any type of pig or touching. They wouldn't touch anything. But he's at the point where he's like, I got to eat it. That's how bad things are for him. But verse 17 gives us the, the beauty of this verse. It says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say, Father, I have sinned against him, against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now, this is okay up to this point, right? But what if he stays in the, in the, with the pigs? This is the difference between repentance and regret. Because he's regrettable, right? Like right now, he's feeling bad. But he has to do something that's very important that you get here. And I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him. So he goes to his father. And he, when he gets to him, he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. He confesses it. This is very important. He confesses it. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And then the son tells the father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer uh, worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servant, bring out, your, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put the ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here, uh, bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive, he was lost and is found, and they begin to be married. See, the thing is, is very important, is that confession has to be done out loud, or it has to be done to God, right, to the Father. So you can sit in your regret all day long, but if you don't actually get up, like when you come to yourself, meaning that the Holy Spirit hits you in the heart and says, uh-uh, you need to repent. Are you going to do it? Are you going to turn from that sin and turn to God? That's what he's asking you to do. But you can sit in it all day long and just be regretful because that's what Judas was. He, he just had regret. It was Peter that actually repented. And so getting up and going to the Father is what we need to do.
So when he says, return to me, and I will return to you the moment you confess it, there's blessings. There's always blessings and obedience. Always. Always. You mess up, and you're going to mess up. Repent and turn to him. Confess it. Don't let it linger, because it'll turn into something else. But that's what he tells them. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, when the early church was getting started, Peter told them, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Sadly, their response is like the spoiled children they are. In what way shall we return? Like, what don't you get? He says, Return to me, and I will return. What are you not getting? It's sad, but the, there's a contrast there, and, and it's just to, to let us know when you see that but there, it's, that's how rebellious they are. They're rebellious because they are, they're like, you're making me feel shameful. You're triggering me. That's the new word of the day, right? You're triggering me. You're making me feel a way about my sin. Don't care. I don't care. I would rather be honest with you about what the Word of God is. If you're upset, you're upset with God, and you need to make you need you and God need to do business. But that's how the Israelites are. The other thing is, is they're they're in self-deception. They believe, hey, I'm good. I don't know what you see, God, but I know I'm good. I look in the mirror, and there's nothing I need to repent of. That's what their response is given. In what way should we repent? Because we're perfect. We're your chosen people. He just gave off a whole list of sins, right, that they were doing. They were treating each other treacherously. They were marrying foreign women, and they were having divorces because they were treating each other treacherously in their marriages. And they were turning foreigners away from God. But they saw themselves as pure. The other thing they are doing is they're shifting blame. They're shifting blame. They start making foolish excuses. In what way should we return? Don't do that. There's so much for us to learn in this. And some of us, uh, we have the same responses when God is saying, hey, you've been doing this thing and it needs to stop. Return to me. And you have one of those three responses. Man, I'm not like that dude. Right? You'll start. (laughs) But I'm not like him. That's no different than what the Israelites were doing. You see the sin that that guy's doing? I'm not like that. That's the importance of your conscience because you've been sealed. Those of you that belong to to Jesus, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You have no excuse. You know when you're not doing right. You know when you respond wrong. You know when there's an action that you shouldn't have had. You know it. So now God is going to hit them back with a rhetorical question as we look at robbed in verse 8. Will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me. But you say, and this is again their, their response, in what way have you robbed me? I mean, this is God. Do you think God needs to pull receipts out? No, right? He don't need to pull receipts out. He already knows. But he tells them, like, in your tithes and offering, you're defrauding and stealing from God. Everything that we have, everything that we own belongs to God. It was given to us by God. And yet what we'll do is go, no, no, man, I work for that. I put in the 60 hours to get that. God gave you that job. 
See, they were defrauding God because there were annual tithes that were supposed to be given to the Levites. You can read about that in Numbers chapter 18, verses 21 through 24. They had an income that they were supposed to give to the priests. You can read about that in Numbers 18, verses 25 through 32. And then there was a tithe for the worshipers to bring for the temple that they would, when they would bring, they would have a special meal for the Levites. And that's in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. And then there was a third year tithe. And this is what puzzles me. Like they were neglecting God and at the same time hurting the poor. There was a tithe that was supposed to happen in the third year in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 28 through 29, that would actually help be used for the poor. So they were robbing God. They weren't, they were keeping it all to themselves. They figured, hey, we just got out of captivity. It's been 40 years. God owes us. That's their attitude. Now we know that the tithe that we always hear about is a tenth of the tithe, right? We went over that with Melchizedek as, as Abram gave a tenth of the tithe in Genesis 14, 18 through 20. Y'all can read these when you get time. I'm not going to sit and read through each one of these. Well, that concludes today's broadcast of Sun, Salt, and Light Radio. We hope that you enjoyed it. If you'd like to submit a prayer request or get in contact with us or find out service times, you can do all of that at our website, uh, as well as get uh, our podcast at Spotify, Audible, TuneIn Radio. Pretty much wherever you can find a podcast, uh, you, you can just type in Sun, Salt, and Light, and you'll find it. 